I'm Frances Robertson Ritchie. Welcome to today's episode of The Explored Life, More Than Yoga. Today on The Explored Life, More Than Yoga, I'm going to be speaking with Caroline Strawson, multi-award winning trauma-informed therapist and coach specializing in healing narcissistic trauma. Now Caroline helps people to move from complex post-traumatic stress disorder to post-traumatic growth, achieving higher level living because of what they've been through. So listen to find out exactly what narcissistic trauma is and Caroline's method for healing from it, as well as hearing Caroline's own inspiring story. Well, I am so excited to be talking to you today. Um, I've just finished your wonderful book, um, Divorce Became My Superpower, and I just loved it. It was so, so insightful. And um, I basically started following you um, because I did a training with you as part of Catherine's um, mastermind. And you did some um, training on trauma um, with us and the nervous system, which I love all that stuff um, as a yoga teacher. Um, I sort of use a lot of nervous system downregulation tools. You know, I think uh, that's the useful stuff really for me about yoga, uh, the stress management. And, and so it really, um, you know, it really resonated with me. And then, um, yeah, I was so interested to read your book. So why don't you start by telling out the community here a little bit about what it is you do, Caroline, to help women? Yeah, so I'm a trauma-informed therapist and coach. So I use a really unique integration, really, of therapy and coaching to help people. Predominantly, I specialize in narcissistic abuse and narcissistic trauma. So, you know, I, I work on the brain and the mind and the body in an array of therapies and with coaching about really helping people to understand what's happened to them in the past that is having an impact on their present so they can go off and live, you know, the best life that they possibly can. And because I input a lot of positive psychology into the work that I do as well, it's helping people really find meaning and purpose in their pain. So um, in positive psychology, we have a term called post-traumatic growth. And this is growth after trauma and actually you going on and leading an even more connected, joyful, higher level life because of the trauma that you've been through as well. And, uh, you know, I know certainly, you know, I had post-traumatic growth after I went through my divorce and, and sort of lost my family home, etc. So for me, I really want to help my clients have their own version of post-traumatic growth so they can see that, yes, we've been through this trauma, but actually that trauma shone a spotlight on, you know, my own inner wounds. And it gives me the opportunity now to work on myself and to go on then and live an even better life. Yeah, I love that. That is so um, wonderful uh, that it's reframing, you know, potentially very difficult past experiences as being part of a process that actually then leads to um, something good coming out of it and something positive. 
Yeah, I think so many of us, when we go through bad experiences, we almost want to forget about them, run from them, um, because that's a natural response. We want to run away from pain. And actually, what I help my clients do is integrate that pain. So, you know, finding meaning and a purpose for that, that sits well within our system, so that as we then move forward, we can recognize, absolutely, it was horrific that I went through that, but we're still not getting those emotional responses in the present moment as if we're still living through them as well because that's you know trauma is a cognitive and somatic experience so we really want to work on the body element the nervous system aspect of all of that so that we can recognize we're now in the present we are now safe we're not still in the past living those experiences because very often we get stuck and that's what causes us to have all of those emotional responses still in the present moment our brain hasn't finished processing it hasn't time stamped those events into the past it's still very present in your system yeah yeah um I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your um your own journey because I think it's so relevant and it seems to be so much a part of the work that you do now it sort of guides it it really is I mean you know I suppose my initial profession was I was a podiatrist so you know in 2009 um my mum died really, really suddenly. And then the following year, my husband walked out on me and my two children. And it was having lots of those traumas in a very short space of time that just sent my own system into overload. I didn't realize I'd been in a psychologically abusive relationship, even though I thought I was this intelligent woman. And of course I would recognize that, but, you know, particularly psychological abuse and particularly narcissistic abuse, it's very insidious. So it's just like a slow chipping away of your confidence, of your sense of self. So when I came out of that marriage, I was literally shell of myself and I was diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder so PTSD tends to be on a single event um, from a trauma whereas complex PTSD tends to be things like domestic abuse um, sexual abuse child abuse um, kidnapping that kind of element it's more complex it's over a period of time hence why um, complex PTSD depression anxiety I used to self-harm you know every morning for me would be started by sitting on the bathroom floor in my ensuite, desperately trying not to have a panic attack because I knew I'd got to get the kids up, get them to school, because if I didn't do that, there was nobody else to do that. And, you know, I've always said, had it not been for my two kids at that stage of my life, I wouldn't be sat here right now. I was in a very dark place because when me and my ex-husband split up, we were in over £70,000 worth of debt. So you can imagine I was very, very part-time as a podiatrist. I was pretty much a stay-at-home mom. And then all of a sudden I'd lost my mum the year before. My husband had walked out. We've got all of this debt. I looked at the money coming in to the money going out and it didn't tally. <laughs> it, it didn't balance. So, you know, I'd get bills coming in and I didn't dare open them because I thought, God, I haven't got the money to pay it. You know, if the kids came home and they'd got a school trip, I was like, my goodness, where am I going to get the money from for all of that? And I was literally living in this state of robbing Peter to pay Paul all of the time because I just didn't have any money. And, and I remember sitting there in, in April 2013, I actually had my family home repossessed as well and I remember sitting there I hit 40 that year as well 
And I was sat there thinking, okay, I can either go one in two directions here. One, I can kind of sit where I am, sit in that mentality, waiting for somebody to maybe come and rescue me. No one seemed to be coming though. (laughs) Or I could actually think, you know what, Caroline, you need to start to rescue yourself here. This is, do you really want to live your life like this? Do you really want to be this role model to your children? And really that started then my own self-healing journey. And over the years, you know, I tried different therapies, myself talking therapies, just didn't quite seem to really get to that deep level for me. So over the years, I've retrained myself. So I do EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's one of the most well-known treatments for trauma. Brain spotting, which I love. Brain spotting is like EMDR on speed. It's brilliant. And because it's a newer therapy arisen from EMDR, we'll probably see brain spotting more even in the years to come. It's amazing. So um, where you look... That eye position is almost unlocking the capsule of trauma. Mm -hmm. So I help my clients find a a spot, a brain spot, an eye position. And we hold that eye position and really just let the brain do what it was designed to do. That very often as human beings, we try and stop. So, but I'm holding space for the client in what we call dual attunement. So, you know, I'm literally there holding space for the client to feel safe enough to have that eye position to really download and finish processing these past events. So we timestamp them in the brain into the past so we can actually then live our life moving forward. So it's an incredible therapy. Mm-hmm. And I integrate parts work with that as well. So I use something called internal family systems. And this is an evidence-based parts therapy because, you know, the core of who we are, we all have ourself and that's the essence of us. You know, somebody who's compassionate and, and, you know, living a life of clarity, curiosity, confidence. And then we often have wounds that form from childhood. And then again, when we talk about trauma, it's not just the major things. It's also your interpretation of things. You know, for me, my dad was pretty unemotional. So my perception of that, if I was getting straight A's and being captain of the sports teams, my dad never praised me. He never really said, I love you. So my perception of that was I can't be good enough. So that was a trauma to me. So internal family systems is about, okay, if I created a wound then as a child of not feeling good enough in come these protector parts for me then such as I became this people pleasing perfectionist high achiever because of course if I was all of those as my protector parts the likelihood is then you know surely I must be good enough then and it's less likely to activate the kind of core wound that I had but of course we can keep looking at symptoms of things, you know, things like depression and anxiety, these are all symptoms of an underlying issue. So again, working on the root cause with all of that. I use hypnotherapy, RTT, which is a form of hypnotherapy and psychotherapy, and also bringing in a lot of positive psychology and high performance into that as well. So it is a real integration of techniques. And, you know, as I've trained in these over the years, it's come about really from myself working with my own clients thinking, hmm, I want to give more. I feel like I I always want to serve my clients the best that I can. So I look at 
other ways and think, okay, I felt like that session, what, what could I have brought there? And I'll seek out other things or I'll create my own version of things and integrate it all together so that when I'm working with my clients, it's very much meeting my client with where, where they are at and, you know, holding space and giving them tools and strategies and techniques, but in different parts of their brain and within their body as well. So, you know, I, I now run a really successful therapy and coaching business and, um, won awards for it now um, as well. You know, I've got a, a pretty large following. You know, I've got a big group on Facebook with nearly 12,000 women in now. I have uh, nearly 30,000 on Instagram. I've just hit 10,000 on my YouTube channel and over 200,000 downloads on my podcast. If you'd have said this to me 10 years ago, I'd have thought you were crazy. You know, there was no way I would have believed any of this. And, you know, whilst we're all still an ongoing journey, you know, I, um, when I did my internal family systems training, a great trainer that I had always said, the work is never ending, it's just beginning. Because I think when, if we think of healing as a destination, we're always going to be disappointed because just as you think you get there, the goalposts move. So just take each day, know that what am I going to learn? How am I going to grow today? And certainly for me going through all of my trauma and, and particularly narcissistic abuse because when I started to you know I'm a real trauma geek I really shied away really from specializing in narcissistic abuse because it's an overused word in our society people misunderstand what it is and so I kind of thought, nope, don't want to go there because I know I will, you know, people will be like, oh my goodness, that word, et cetera, et cetera. And the more I almost tried to move away from it, the more people were coming to me that were suffering from narcissistic trauma. And I almost thought, okay, I can keep walking away from it or I can be the change. I can actually help people see narcissism through a trauma-informed lens and what happens in the brain, the mind and the body, taking away judgment, you know, giving them the tools, helping them with purpose and meaning of the pain they are going through, even looking at the narcissist as well from, from that relevancy too. So it, it's been a journey for me and I've totally embraced that now. Do I get people who still misunderstand it? Absolutely. But I've created this year actually a narcissism informed coaching certification where I'm helping well I've got over 100 women in there actually who are going to be trained to be certified narcissism informed coaches so that you know there's only so much I can do on my own and, and again I'm about impact and helping as many people as I can so you know I'm, uh, one aspect of my business is is supporting those women to create um a successful coaching business with that as well so it's been a journey and it, an ongoing journey but you know the fact now that I'm totally financially secure you know I pay for my children to go through private education we go on lovely holidays um yeah it, for me it's about memories and experiences so um you know the fact now that you know, my ex-husband obviously has to pay child maintenance and I really relied on that at the start. You know, if he was a day late, everything would be bouncing and everything else. Whereas now, you know, it, it's kind of a drop in the ocean of, of what I've created myself. So again, when I work with my clients, it's very much helping them become independent within this world if nothing changed so that they feel in control. They're stepping into their own potential power in all of that as well. And that's something I'm really passionate about because you know we can all sit and externalize and project but actually it has to start with you and that can be painful for people to to kind of sit in that because it means going within and that can be painful 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's hard. It's work, isn't it? You have to do the work, basically. It's sometimes not very comfortable to do that. Um, It's interesting that you talk about the... um, sometimes the misunderstanding around the word narcissism and I'd love to because I think maybe I'm not sure that I completely understand um because it is you hear it so much these days it's on social media it's huge and I mean it's probably indicative of like the the accounts that I follow on Instagram and stuff you know um but uh yeah but I I've, I feel like it, I'm seeing it so much and I wonder if you could clarify for us what 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 does it mean you know so we all have narcissistic traits in us all of us but that doesn't mean we are an abusive person and I think there's there's a book by the American um, Psychological Association called the DSM so the Diagnostical and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders and this is a book that um, health professionals will use to diagnose an array of you know, personality disorders, depression, PTSD, etc. And it's kind of, you know, a book that lists the behavior traits, etc. to get that diagnosis. Now, the problem with the diagnosis of things and medicalizing things is sometimes it gives people an excuse of their behavior. Now, when we talk about narcissism, so narcissistic personality disorder is a personality disorder. It's a cluster B personality disorder that's listed in the DSM. Now, medicalizing narcissistic personality disorder, I understand sometimes allows those who've been victimized by a narcissist to feel like, well, they have this disorder. So it can help sometimes in it isn't me, they have this disorder. The problem with medicalizing narcissistic personality disorder is they list nine specific traits in that book and you have to have five or more to be diagnosed with NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. Now these nine traits are pretty specific. So that would mean someone who had four wouldn't necessarily get a diagnosis. And then also it's on a spectrum, which it is, you know, narcissism is on a spectrum because you could have somebody who is highly narcissistic and abusive and someone who has a lot of narcissistic traits is still abusive. And then someone who, like you and I, we will have narcissistic traits, but we're not abusive either. We own and take responsibility. Now, the problem with getting a diagnosis, you know, if you broke your leg, for instance, you you know, you'd go to the hospital, you'd get a diagnosis and you'd get a cast on, etc. The problem with narcissistic personality disorder as it is and with any narcissist is it takes a level of ownership that they are doing something wrong, that their behavior is impacting others. Now, a narcissist will not pretty much ever recognize that you know they will say well I'm only behaving like this because you are behaving like that and if you weren't like that then I wouldn't have to be like this there's no ownership or responsibility it's what we call subjective distress they think their behavior is because of something else they don't think their behavior is what is causing the destruction around them so with that then No narcissist would ever say, hey, I think I might be a narcissist. I need to go and get a diagnosis. I need to go and get that. And the problem with that is because it's very rare we get any diagnosis, so to speak, somebody then that we see on social media that says, you know, my mum's a narcissist or my ex is a narcissist, 
people then don't necessarily believe them. They start to judge. They start to think, um, well, A, have they got a diagnosis? Who told you they are a narcissist? And actually that really shames those then that have been victimized by a narcissist. It's almost like, so are you saying you will only believe me if they get a diagnosis? but you try and help me get a diagnosis because there's no way I'm getting then into an office where they're going to have that because they don't recognize they have a problem. There's no ownership of that. So when we've medicalized narcissistic personality disorder, for me, it hasn't really helped those that actually suffer at the hands of a narcissist. For me, narcissism is about a, a whole host of behavior traits, sort of lack of empathy, um, grandiosity, the typical type of narcissist that we might think, you know, someone who walks into the room and commands attention. However, there are 10 different types of narcissists and we can have what's called a covert narcissist. So somebody who's very victim-like, somebody who is the kind of poor me version and wants the sympathy because they want that supply. And that isn't really what, as a society, we think would be a narcissist. You know, we think the narcissist is someone who loves themselves and takes lots of selfies and is really, really confident. Don't get me wrong, that can be an element of that. But there's a whole host of traits. And for me, you know, even in the program I'm doing at the moment, you know, I list probably about 40 to 50 traits that a narcissist could have. And we look at, from a traits perspective, that they are in every aspect of the life. So professionally, personally, relationships, on an ongoing basis. Because, you know, we could all feel angry one day. We might be mean one day. That doesn't mean we're a narcissist and it doesn't mean we're abusive. So this is about, you know, every day on an ongoing basis, these traits are showing up in all aspects of somebody's life. And for me, that makes them a narcissist. You know, it's not just about one or two. It's about a series of traits pretty much every day, all aspects of your life. And for me, that's a narcissist. So really, for me, the word narcissist is like an umbrella term for lots of abusive behaviors on an ongoing basis. When we medicalize it, it makes it very challenging for those who've actually been victims of the narcissist in all of this. So it's about that understanding in our society that really, if we understood that narcissist is an overarching term for abusive behavior over a period of time, without judgment upon those people, because at the end of the day, abuse is abuse is abuse. Whether we've labeled someone as a narcissist or not, if you are feeling that you are in an abusive relationship, it doesn't matter what we call them at the end of the day, yeah. but because we've made that word so kind of um, misused, misunderstood, you know, just because you break up with somebody, it's like, well, they're a narcissist. You know, that isn't the case. They might just be not a nice person, for instance. And again, when we start to understand it, pretty much everything that is in the DSM is symptomatic of trauma. So when we look at all of these things, not everything, but the majority of things, it's symptomatic of trauma. When we have a narcissist, for instance, they're not born as yet. We know there's, there's not a narcissist gene, so to speak. It's about 
how they are attached with their parents or caregivers in childhood okay and that will then have an impact on whether they then obviously become a narcissist and there's different elements that can show up with all of that so we know a narcissist comes from childhood trauma and again it doesn't mean they were abused or anything it could be interpretation it could be sibling rivalry it could be golden child it could be neglect it could be abuse but it's then within that person's system. I and mean, again, we don't know why, why did they suddenly become a narcissist then necessarily? Um, we don't know from a science perspective exactly why, but they do. And at the end of the day, a narcissist is someone who's deeply insecure, who has pretty much zero self-worth. Not that you would know looking at their behavior, but they are driven by never going within and feeling that pain. So almost their protector parts, which might be coercive behavior, it might be anger, it might be violence sometimes, addiction, whatever that is, those protector parts for the narcissist is protecting themselves from feeling the pain of their wounded younger parts. But their protector parts become so strong that they're like, that becomes their false sense of self. So we never get beyond any of that. Yet somebody then who has been in a relationship with a narcissist, say like myself, <clears throat> it doesn't mean that I don't recognize that there are issues within our marriage, for instance, but I take ownership and responsibility of that, whereas a narcissist doesn't. So I can work on myself, recognizing and owning some responsibility so for me, I want to understand it wasn't about me. I can see when I look at my ex-husband even with compassion as well, why he is, why he is. Not his fault necessarily, but it doesn't excuse behavior. So when we talk about narcissism and being a narcissist, that's the explanation, but it's still not the excuse for abusive behavior. And I want to be really clear on that. Just because we can understand doesn't mean it is right and it doesn't mean we excuse the behavior because abuse is abuse at the end of the day. So for me, it's about helping my clients and those in my community recognize that the power of healing isn't about changing the narcissist. It's about understanding why they are, why they are, so that we can start to look at them with compassion, not that it excuses their behavior, but it means then we can take our power back and recognize, okay, see why they are like that doesn't excuse it but actually what they've done is shone a spotlight on my inner child wounds that's where my power comes in because they're the bits I can work on they're the bits that I can go in and help heal so the magnets to a narcissist is what we call a codependent equally someone who does, who has a lack of self-worth as well the same as a narcissist but the difference is a codependent will acknowledge that and recognize it a narcissist won't so as much as i would love to say send every narcissist to me i'll work on their childhood trauma i'll support them because they don't acknowledge that there's a problem in the first place i can't help someone who doesn't acknowledge there's an issue in the first place and that's what makes it so sad um, so there's a lot of different parameters, a lot of judgment around all of this. And it's just taking the stigma away from that and helping those victimized by the narcissist and helping them understand that we can't really change who they are. If they do want to change, likelihood they're not a narcissist. There will have been other, they could still have childhood trauma, but the likelihood is they weren't a narcissist because a narcissist won't acknowledge. Yeah. 
my God, there's so much that you've just given us there. Like I was just like really concentrating to keep up with all of that. There's so much information there and it's so fascinating. I was just sort of, um, it occurred to me um, from reading your book, just how much suffering being in a relationship with someone who has narcissistic, is a narcissist, who is... Uh, you know behaving in that way consistently over time um what kind of suffering that causes to um to people and you know let's let's sort of talk specifically about women here because that's you help women more mostly right I do have our clients um, as well, but we know from a statistical perspective as well, you know, women can be narcissists as well, absolutely. Um, but on the whole from a domestic abuse perspective, I think it's something about 80 to 85% of perpetrators are male. Doesn't mean men aren't also victims of narcissistic abuse because they absolutely are because I work with clients who are as well, but I predominantly work with women. Yeah. And then that fact, I thought it was really interesting um, how, um, so so the narcissist is coming from a place of childhood trauma um, and, and that's really, I think, key to understand, like you say, but... I wonder if when you talk about the codependent, um, you know, coming in the person in the relationship with the narcissist, I wonder if sometimes they kind of really want to help. They've got that. Kind Absolutely. Of, yeah, so that almost kind of brings them together. It's like, um, maybe I can help you. <laughs> They are a magnet, you know, a codependent, again, has those feelings of not being good enough, not being worthy. So when you go into a relationship with a narcissist they will make you feel like the most amazing person in the world and almost fill that hole in your soul because you don't feel good enough so it's like this match made in heaven to start off with for instance but then over a period of time the discard phase starts so you might not be serving the narcissist supply for instance of what they need to not feel not good enough as a child because the starting points are exactly the same a narcissist and a codependent will have exactly the same starting points and again from a research we don't know why why does one become a narcissist and why does one become a codependent we just know that obviously it happens so you know the codependent in that relationship with a narcissist take for me, for instance, those feelings of not feeling good enough, that moment then when the relationship starts to go downhill, that triggers me thinking, it must be me. I can't be good enough. So I need to do more and be more. I must please and and make it as good as possible because it must my fault so it's really triggering and then there might be a a phase where it'll calm down for a bit and I get this rush of all the kind of oxytocin and dopamine everything's okay again and then I'll get the discard again and the cortisol will come in the you know adrenaline and I get addicted to that which is why when we talk about trauma bonding we get addicted to those feelings of the hormones that we're releasing in this abusive cycle of you know oxytocin and dopamine which makes you feel good and then the discard it's the cortisol and the adrenaline and we get addicted to that so then when we come out of the relationship our cells are going oh where's the rush we need that we need that and you know this is why it it makes it really difficult when you are breaking up from a narcissist or trying to cut contact whether if they're a parent because your body is screaming out your body is addicted to that feeling and it's it's like you're breaking a drug and it's really challenging 
challenging to start off with with all of that because every cell wants to get back into the relationship because it's your version of safe because even though cognitively you might know it's wrong and it doesn't feel good your body is saying yeah but it must be kind of okay because you're still alive we're still here and it becomes your version of normal it becomes what your version of love was taught to you with this cycle of not feeling good enough then maybe feeling good enough then not feeling good enough that's your blueprint of what love is so when you're in that relationship with a narcissist it's like oh yeah this is what love is this is what it is this is what it's like And as you're going through that, your body is getting more and more addicted to those hormone rushes and discards and everything as well, which, you know, is why it makes it really, that's why when I teach my clients, you know, no contact or extreme modified contact is really a key starting point to heal from narcissistic trauma. Wow. That is, again, that's so interesting. So, so much. And, um, I'm just aware of taking up too much of your time, Caroline. So just one last thing, if you don't mind. So just to summarize, um, am I right in understanding that for women wanting to, um, to find a pathway out of that kind of relationship, the the key, it seems to me is this understanding of what is going on. Yes and no. I think I didn't understand when I was in the my marriage with my ex-husband. It was only when I came out of it that I started to kind of see what was going on. I think the key here is what are you feeling like when you're with this person on an ongoing basis? And that's your starting point. You know, are you recognizing that you're isolating more? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel like you're treading on eggshells? Do you feel like you don't know what they're going to say or do next? What do you feel like? Do you almost feel like a child when you're in that relationship? And that could still be you're the adult with your mother, but you still feel like a child, for instance. Is it that you're in this partnership, but you still feel like a child almost, that you're treading on eggshells and trying to be this good girl or good boy within that relationship? recognizing that it doesn't really matter at that stage what a diagnosis who they are what they are or anything else the main thing to think of here is safety before you leave that relationship particularly obviously if it's in a marriage or a partnership your safety is a priority because as we know from a domestic abuse perspective actually most murders happen in the first seven days of leaving an abusive relationship so it's really vital that Before you even leave, you've created maybe a strategy, safe places, you know, got your passports, birth certificates, bank accounts, et cetera, in a safe way so that when you leave, it's not a case of one day you go, I'm going to leave or can you leave? And then you've got to deal with the fallout. You've prepared for that. You know, I work with clients where we create a strategy together and we exit safely together so that they are then able to move forward. Once you're out of the relationship and we've implemented no contact or extreme modified contact, the nervous system can kind of calm slightly. And that's when we can really start to work on the deeper healing elements of all of that. Again, that could still be a challenge if we've got lots of legal processes going on as well, because you're still dealing with sorting everything out. I always say that the best stage to start healing is when everything is sorted out 
And you are then able to just kind of focus on you. If you've got younger children, you've got contact in place, you've got your finances sorted. You know, we don't really have to have any contact necessarily. So we can just literally focus on yourself with all of that. But really, it's about how you feel, finding safe people to talk to, and then safety is a priority. So they're kind of the key steps to start off with. That can be challenging, obviously, if it's a parent or somebody in your life, because how do you cut a parent out of your life? It's about learning boundaries then as well and still being in alignment with your values as a person, maybe a daughter or a son, but having your boundaries within that parameter as well. So you can still have the best relationship you can based on your boundaries um, too. And I think that's really important for people to recognize if it's a family member, you can still cut them out if you want to, but it's about creating that safe space for you to feel like, yeah, I'm being the best daughter I can in alignment with my values. It's not the relationship I would like to have with my parent, but it's the best of this situation. So yeah, there's just lots of little nuances around it all, but safety is the priority with that. Yeah, that's really, really important. Um, so if um, people wanted to find your Facebook group, Caroline, what's it called? So my Facebook group is called the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery for Women. So it is, it does what it says on the tin. So, um, you know, please come and join. Very, very rigid with who we let in as well. Every single person is checked by myself or my team to make sure they are who they say they are. Because of course, lots of narcissists would want to try and get in there as well. So we're very, very strict on who we let in. Um, so it is a very safe place um, there. Obviously, they can you can come and follow me on Instagram, listen to my podcast, which is called the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Podcast. I have a YouTube channel, just look up Caroline Strawson. You know, but if you feel it, anyone who's feeling stuck or just, you know, you can feel so crazy when you're going through all this and feel like no one believes you and, you know, I should be able to get over this or get on with it. And you just feel like you can't reach out, you know, don't be alone in all of this. There are so many of us that have, have been through or still going through situations like this and you can come through all of this, you know, yes, it's a process and it can take some time, but you've got to be intentional on your healing. You know, sadly with narcissistic abuse, it doesn't just happen. You've got to be intentional with some specific techniques and tools to really help yourself move forward. And it's still always an ongoing journey. Yeah. Just like you said at the beginning, that, that journey, that process, the ongoing process. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Caroline. I'll drop the links to all of those things that you mentioned in the comments um, for this podcast episode. I really appreciate your time. It's been lovely to talk to you. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me. you so much for listening today don't forget that you can subscribe to listen to more episodes you can leave a review if you've enjoyed today's episode and you can share with your friends and I'd really appreciate that look forward to seeing you next week and if you need a few moments out for yourself I've left a free guided relaxation recording in the notes for this podcast Take care, guys. See you next time.